Hello and welcome or welcome back. You're listening to Retold, a podcast where I review and analyze modern retellings of ancient mythology and history. I'm your host, Sophia. And into this in today's episode, um we started off well, not today's episode, but in last week's episode last two weeks ago's episode, uh, I covered The Song of Achilles, which is obviously a hugely famous book um, among several different communities. Uh, and today we're covering something that, another book that I think is not quite as well known, but I think, well, I'll talk about my opinions on it, but spoiler alert, I think that this book deserves more attention. Um, I don't think I'll, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to give any more preamble because what's the point? Let's just get into it. Cue the intro music. Season 1 of Retold. The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. Now, I don't know if many of you have probably heard of this book. Um, if you are really into Greek mythology retellings, uh, I, I'm guessing that you may have. Um, I don't think it's necessarily... It doesn't really necessarily fit in the trend that I've seen recently of what retellings really look like because I think that more of the recent ones are have a very distinct style to them. Not saying that that's a bad thing. Um, it's just a thing. Uh, but I wanted to talk about this book right after The Song of Achilles because I think The Song of Achilles and this book are kind of, I don't know how to say this, uh, I, I genuinely don't, I, I can't, I don't know, I don't, I don't have enough words in my vocabulary to com correctly communicate this, but I feel like they're kind of like opposites in a way. They complement each other and contradict each other, and they're kind of like, yeah, they're opposites. Um, if you don't know, The Silence of the Girls is a, is a book, obviously. It's a novel by Pat Barker, um, a British author, an English author, um, and it covers the events of the Iliad, basically. Um from the point of view of Achilles's prize of honor, Briseis. And there are, there is a few there are some sprinklings of Achilles's point of view here and there in the book, but um the pers I mean the the first person POV is Briseis and then Achilles is in third person. So I think it's safe to say that it's still really primarily in Briseis's point of view. 
And we get, we have a lot more sympathy for her than we do for Achilles, definitely. So, I guess, I guess I can just, like, dive in, um, as usual. I guess I'll give, I'll, I'll give a summary of what happens in the book. Again, you'll know a lot more if you just listen to my introductory episode of this season, Troy, the Trojan War Told, but, you know, I'm trying to... I'm trying to make this digestible for people who haven't listened to it. Um, But I do definitely recommend listening to that. And also I recommend listening to the Song of Achilles episode because because I'm going to be making some comparisons. But if you don't... But that's not as important. Um, So The Silence of the Girls is, again, from the perspective of Brisaise. And Brisaise, although she's like commonly known as just Achilles' war prize. Um, She was actually a queen in wherever she lived before, which is a, a, like a, a city, I guess, but it's not like a really important city called Lernessus. Um, She was married to the king of Lernessus, um, and while the Greeks were going to um, attack Troy, they like, it was, like, one of the surrounding cities of Troy, like, and it was kind of allied with Troy, I guess, and, like, they sacked Lernessus, too. Um, not that Lernessus ever did anything to them, but, you know, why not, right? Um, I think this was, like, a common battle practice, I think, um, in, like, Homeric epics and stuff, like, if you're attacking a town, like, I guess Lonessus is based, it's, it's similar, it's, it's, it's a city, but it's, and it has its own king, but it's, like, it's, it's so small (laughs) and, like, unimportant that it really relies on Troy, and to attack it is kind of, like, almost like attacking, like, the rural areas, and they did attack the rural areas of the Trojan city-state as well, um, so, Briseis gets, you know, abducted, not really, I don't know if you would consider this abducted, but taken prisoner, uh, because that's what would happen to women, especially high-born women, in the Trojan, in the Trojan War, and, Achilles, she gets given to Achilles as his war prize, and eventually Achilles gets into a conflict with Agamemnon, another king who's technically in charge of all the other kings. I guess Achilles isn't really a king, but anyway. Um, and Agamemnon basically has, is forced to give up his prize of honor, but asks for Briseis instead. Um, and basically Achilles, because of this incident where he takes Briseis from her, sorry, from him, he is mad and refuses to fight. He basically goes on strike. Um, and then Patroclus, his best bud slash boyfriend, goes to fight in his stead. He dies. Achilles, like is super mad, and then goes out to fight again. He dies, and 
Brise's... Oh, Brise's is given back before that. Um, she... We don't really hear much more about her, but... Um, yeah. And then... That's kind of... And then, and then the Greeks sack Troy. And that's kind of where the Silence of the Girls ends. But there's also a sequel called The Women of Troy, which I'm also going to be covering. Probably not to as great detail, but I will be mentioning some of the characters from that book. It's also told by Brisee's point of view, but there's also, but instead of Achilles, you know, since he's dead, the third person POV is his son, Pyrrhus, who, um, who comes to Troy after his father's death. So, oh, and... In, in the women of Troy, this isn't actually something that, like, happens in the mythology, like, as far as I know. But, um, in the women of Troy, they, there is, a, there's, there's a problem because, um, they, the winds are not favorable. And as you'll remember, I don't know if I actually talked about this or not. I think I talked about it in the Song of Achilles episode. As you'll remember from that episode, they're, you know, when the winds are bad, that means basically the gods are mad at you. Um, we'll see this in when I cover the events of the Odyssey as well, because that's like the main point of the Odyssey. Um, he... Why did I say he? So anyway, in the women of Troy, because of the unfavorable winds, they kind of, the entire point of the, the entire plot of the book is like, they're trying, this is after the sack of Troy, when they're trying to go home, by the way, um, the Greeks are trying to figure out who or why they, the, the gods are unhappy so that they can fix it and so that they can go home. And I actually think, I think it's a really interesting, I mean, I'll get to it, but again, this isn't actually part of the mythology, as far as I know, like, I cannot find this, this myth anywhere, but it's, it's cool, so, yeah. Um, at the end, you know how I was giving, like, ratings for every book. I'll give separate ratings for The Women of Troy and for The Silence of Girls, because they're different books, but obviously, Read The Silence of the Girls before you read Women of Troy, in my opinion. Because I always, I personally despise, <laughs> I, I hate the practice of reading a sequel after, before the original book. Because, like, even if it's better, like, that's not what, well, that's not what you're meant to do, though. Um, I guess I can just. I guess that's, like, all I really... That's, like, covers the main points of the plot. Um, but... I guess I'll just get more into it now. Um, as you saw from the Song of Achilles episode, uh... Mainly what I talk about, like, on this podcast is literally just characterizations, because I, that's the most interesting to me, and that's really why I love history and mythology in the first place, because of the characters, you know, I was in history class, and, you know, after, after, like, I'm doing a pro project where you kind of 
get to choose any topic. Um, and I, you know, I'm doing a topic related to ancient Rome. And I learned that when you're actually, like, doing history, it's a lot more boring than when you're just seeing the writing. Because you have to look for, like, historical significance and change and trends. And what does it all mean? I frankly do not care about that. I frankly care only I just I'm here for the fun. I'm not here for the for the for the lessons. You know what I mean? Like if there's a lesson that's interesting and actually says something about life, like that's cool, but I'm not going I'm not actively looking for why what this tells us about anything. Cuz I'm just not interested in that. I like the characters. I like how weird and messy and fun the the plots are of mythology and history. And I'm aware that history isn't like a plot, but you know what I mean. The stories. Um, I'm getting off track. But characterizations. So, well, actually, I did talk about Patroclus' POV first in the Song of Achilles. So I guess I can talk about Briseis' POV. Um, Briseis' POV. So before... Um, I talk about her POV. Um, I think it's just, like, important to highlight that, like, to preface, in case you haven't read the book, that this book, this book is not the Song of Achilles. They're not the same thing. They're very different, actually. They could not be more different, actually. Um, this book is relatively faithful, I think, to the, um, the Iliad. And I would say so is the Song of Achilles, but the Song of Achilles definitely takes liberties and interprets things very kindly when it comes to Achilles. Whereas the Silence of the Girls, that that does not happen. Achilles is brutally um, criticized by this book. And honestly, like, as someone who has read the Iliad, I... Do not. I don't see any reason why Achilles should be an inherently good character. I think it's cool that Madeline Miller was able to create this sympathetic character out of Achilles more than you know than in the Iliad. But also, if we're talking like his like accuracy, like if we just read the Iliad and want to know this person's character, is he a good person or a bad person? He's undeniably bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, there's very few people in history or mythology I feel that are actually good. The only people who aren't bad are unimportant. You're either bad, you're either unimportant, or you're bad. And that's just what <laughs> that's just how it is. I'm sorry. Um, it reminds me. It reminds me of that like that age old like discussion about like how you know. Only people who want people who want power should never be in power. But then, like, why people who don't want power aren't going to be in power because they don't want it, right? Anyway, um, that's not relevant. But um, yeah. So Briseis's okay. I think Briseis's point of view really serves to villainize uh, Achilles as much as possible. Um. Because, like, canonically, he's not a good person to women specifically. Um, and he isn't either in 
the silence of the girls. He's, 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 he's the villain of the story. That's, that's, that's it. Um, yeah. He, there's, there's very, there's possibly no redeeming factors to him, no redeeming qualities to him. Um, I think that Brisee's point of view doesn't add much necessarily in how we see Achilles, but, or anyone. Like, it doesn't really add much, except for the fact that I feel like Brisee's can, has access, you know? This isn't related to Achilles anymore, but Brisee's has women in general. I feel like in antiquity, in history, they often are very overlooked and ignored and people don't really care when what they hear or what they see like yeah and they don't they don't they don't hear women or see women and i think that's that is a point that's pretty well um encapsulated by the uh silence of the girls because she's able to base she and the other women in the camp the slaves are able to move around a lot like they're given a lot of freedom in a way like they're not obviously they're slaves but like what i mean by that is like people don't see them people don't notice them so they know they're able to know a lot they're able to eavesdrop a lot um you know like the kings are right there in front of their faces having important discussions while they're over here serving their food and they don't even care that, like, these are Trojan allies, like, in my, in my room who are privy to everything I'm saying about how we're going to defeat the Trojans, which I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, Briseis is also a unique character because she's someone, first of all, she is literally the main character, like, she is a plot device in the in the Iliad, but she's like the number one plot device. But she still has no personality. And I think that's really interesting. I think it's interesting how same with Patroclus. I feel like they two are so important to the story, but no one cares about them as humans. They just care about how they affected the 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 big men, the big the hot shots, you know? The top dogs. Like Briseis is only important because she causes this fight. Patroclus is only important because Achilles goes to war, goes back to war. Um. Anyway, yeah. So I think Briseis is. I, th- I think it's a. It's it's a perspective that I don't necessarily think of when I read the Iliad or when I read the myth. You know, like it's just it's interesting. Um. Yeah, I think that's all I had to say about her POV. So, characters. The characters in the song of the Silence of the Girls are pretty much identical to the ones in the Song of Achilles. Uh, it just kind of varies on how important they are. Um, obviously, Briseis isn't actually that important in the Song of Achilles. Like, she is, but she's not. She might be, like, the fifth most important character. Whereas, obviously, in this one, she is the main character. Also, oh, wait, no. <laughs> more about the pov like you know how i said like achilles and pyrrhus narrate sort of in third person i feel like uh, what's interesting about that is that even 
though we get their POV, we feel no sympathy towards them at all. And I think that just is a testament to Barker's like writing, especially for purists, because we purists is like the the first perspective we get in the women of Troy. Whereas Achilles is like I understand it's like more understandable because Achilles like doesn't his POV doesn't really show up until halfway into the book. But I just think it's very cool how <laughs> Bark the the author was just so good at like making these characters just so unadult just just filled with such unadulterated evil you know um so yeah characters Brisee's there's honestly not much to say about her she's just kind of I will say I don't think Brisee's in this entire these books she doesn't really take much initiative she doesn't really impact anything which I don't think is necessarily bad because I think it's true to what most women um, were able to do in those times. Obviously, it's I don't I, I I wouldn't call her a heroine. Why did I just call her? A, why did I just say heroine? Heroine, heroine, heroine. Are they pronounced? Is heroine and heroine pronounced the same? Wait. Hold on. Heroin. Hero. Heroin. Okay. So, wait. You're telling me heroin and heroin are pronounced exactly the same? Why have I... I feel like I've never said heroin, like, with an E, ever out loud in my life. Now I need to know, though. Wait, U.S. English. Let's go. Heroin. I guess they're pronounced the same. Okay, that was such a back, uh, a sidetrack. Um, I don't think she would be considered a heroine because she really doesn't do much. I think she is just a human, just an observer. And I know this seems a little bit like contradictory because I said I didn't like that Patroclus was such like. He didn't fight or whatever. They're not exactly the same, but I think that that someone could see it and be like, why does she think that for this one and not for that one? Well, I think that it's not... I think when we're talking about accuracy, I think it makes a lot more sense for Brisees to really have very little power. She, I mean, she's a slave. She's a woman. She is a, she's a, well, I don't know about Trojan, she's, I, I don't know if we could consider her Trojan, the book considers her Trojan, but I don't know if she would really be called a Trojan, because she's from Larnessus, right? Anyway, um, she is a foreigner in a Greek camp, like, all the bets are against her, she hasn't really got any way to get power and I think in a way that I think it's like I like it in a way because I feel like when we're when feminists who read feminists who read like mythology and history I feel like they're a little too quick to judge when like women are just like there because like 
honestly, like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, we want to give these women agency, power. We love powerful women. But also we have to acknowledge, you know, women did not have the same power as 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 women nowadays do. I mean, obviously it's not perfect nowadays, but back then in Greece especially was just like they couldn't even go outside. I mean, they did in Rome, but not in Greece. And I think it's important for us to like remember just how bad it was and for someone to represent a woman as someone who really does not have any power in a Greek setting, in an ancient Greek setting, I think is, there's nothing wrong with that because I think it just shows how bad it was. And I think there's a fine line between, like, acknowledging that and, like, victimizing someone, but I I don't think that that's what this is. Um, I... Is... I don't think that Brisez is necessarily a damsel in distress either because no one really saves her. She doesn't... She's kind of powerless, but also there's no one really who helps her. She's alone, powerless. She never really gets rescued. And again, this is also a retelling, so keep in mind that you, you can't always make characters what you want them to be. Um, anyway, whereas Patroclus is, is a totally different situation because he, he's, he's like a soldier in, in, in the Iliad, whereas in Song of Achilles, he's like, anyway, um, yeah, speaking of Patroclus, he's also a character in the, in the Silence of the Girls, obviously he dies before Women of Troy, oh, also speaking of Women in Troy, I feel like Briseis does definitely, like, she starts to come into herself in Women of Troy, I think it's, it's almost like a coming-of-age story, because at the end of Women of Troy, I think she's definitely, like, grown up more, because in the beginning of Silence of the Girls, like, she's a girl, like, keep in mind the title, Silence of the Girls, she's a girl, but then at the end of Women of Troy, she's a woman, you know? Um, not to say that trauma, or getting kid, or getting, or taken by, taken prisoner by, and enslaved by an enemy nation is like necessarily what people should have to go through to become women but like I just feel like she does definitely have like a bit of character development and just her general vibe um like not much but like it's there like she starts um asserting dominance in this camp she starts forming relationships with other women that she didn't basically she didn't really have at all in the silence of the girls like she did have relationships with other other women but they weren't important and they weren't true friendships and she didn't really have any you know she was very distanced from everyone else too because she was achilles's prize of honor so it's just i think that seeing her build bonds more with other women, especially after Troy was sacked, because then a huge amount of women, new women, came into the camp. I think that that was really interesting to see. Um, Patroclus. So Patroclus, Patroclus is interesting. Um, he's maybe, he's, he's my, he's maybe my favorite character in this book, not because I like him the most, but because I feel like I don't understand him, and I want to. 
Um, he's actually very, very similar to how he is in the Iliad. He's Achilles' secondhand man. He pours the wine. Um, when Achilles when Achilles has guests, he is a soldier. He's a soldier. He's not. A, he's less of a warrior. He's more of a soldier. Um, he. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, he he does. He he participates in the sack of Troy. He participates in or no, he doesn't. What am I saying? He participates in the sacks of Lernassus, Thebe, all these cities around Troy. And in the same breath, like in the Iliad, he goes to Brise- he and Briseis are close, and he says like. I could have made him marry. I I can make him marry you, and this is actually a scene that comes up in the Silence of the Girls, um, which I thought like I think the, I've always found that passage very interesting in the Iliad. I did not pull it up. Maybe I should do that. <sighs> Where is it? Ah, okay. So. I'll just read you this passage in the Iliad. It's the Perseus translation because I don't know where my book is. So I'm just going to read it to you from Perseus, uh, which is a great website that I take a lot of my sources from. Um, let's go. Okay. So this is Brisee's. I'm not going to, I'm just going to summarize it real quick. This is Brisee's, like, when Patroclus dies, like, she comes and, like, mourns his body. So, um, well, she she mourns him over his body. Uh, so she says, Patroclus, dearest to my hapless heart, alive I left thee when I went from the hut, and now I find thee dead, thou leader of hosts, as I return thereto, Thus for me doth evil ever follow hard on evil. I'm just going to skip this part, so dot, dot, dot. But thou, when swift Achilles slew my husband, and laid waste the city of godlike Mines, wouldst not even suffer me to weep, but saidest that thou wouldst make me the wedded wife Achilles, and that would Why can't I speak? The wedded wife of Achilles, and that he would bear me in his ships to Thya, and make me a marriage feast among the Myrmidons. Wherefore I wail for thee in my in thy death, in thy death, and know no ceasing, for thou wast ever kind. So yeah, um, what does that mean? Uh, the Perseus translations are great, but they're really, 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 like, old and just, like, hard to understand. So, I'll just break it down. Um, so basically, Briseis is saying, like, I'm mourning, I'm really sad that you, quote-unquote, dearest to my heart, um, have died since I left the camp, um, you and then she counts that when Achilles murdered her husband, Mines, um, and when he basically took her prisoner, uh, Patroclus promised that 
he would he Patroclus would make Briseis the wedded wife of Achilles. So Patroclus would make Achilles and Briseis marry, and that they would marry, and that he would Achilles would bring Briseis back to Thia. And that's why Briseis is mourning him because he was really kind to her. And this is really interesting to me because I feel like, I mean, Patroclus is a very interesting character because he's this like spot of kindness and refuge in this camp where like she has no allies. Um,. I mean, she's got the other Trojan women, but in the beginning of the book, she's kind of distanced from them. She kind of gets closer with them later on. But yeah, like, when the book begins, when she's first taken to Achilles' hut, like, there is no one there to help her. She's completely helpless. She doesn't know what's happening. She's lost. She she doesn't even speak the language that most of these people are speaking. I mean, I think she does, like, understand Greek to some extent, probably. I don't know. I don't know if I actually mentioned or not. I This is why some, this is why other podcasters take notes, guys. <laughs> um, anyway, but my point is she's in an unfamiliar environment that, you know, she, like, it's just terrible. And Patroclus is the first one to, like, you know, give her food, give her wine, um, and he's kind to her and throughout the book he they have several conversations um and they talk about achilles he is the only one of the greeks who really even sees her even achilles doesn't really even talk to her like patroclus is the only one who talks to her like she's a human but at the same time he he's the best friend of her abuser he's a soldier in this army he's his second in command so he's like he's barely he's a he's only a step below achilles in terms of leadership in this army um he's a soldier and he he's a killer <laughs> and i think that it's very interesting because Briseis says this too. She's like, why are you being kind to me? Like, you are also a Greek. You're also a soldier. You're also killing my people. And it's, I think, I don't know. It's just so interesting, but I don't know what to make of it sometimes. I think it's, I think it. it's not necessarily wrong. I think that people definitely have this, weird mentality where it's like i i'm doing my job you know like (laughs) like i feel like it, it makes sense it tracks it doesn't feel weird like it doesn't feel inconsistent it's just very interesting um overall i don't think patroclus really really undergoes any character development he does kind of explain why he's being so nice to her. Um, I'll, I'll just quote it from the book. Uh, basically, Briseis asks, why are you so nice to me? This is really weird. And um, Patroclus basically, well, he says, quote, 
because I know what it's like to lose everything and be handed to Achilles as a toy. And Briseis... She doesn't really say anything. Um, Patroclus just kind of explains. He he tells that this story about you know we we heard it we heard about it in the Song of Achilles. He about how he killed another boy when he was a, when he was a when he was a kid. Um, and he's basically and you know he tells how he was exiled, how Achilles was like. Um, Achilles is, uh, he was basically, like, sent to Achilles, basically. Um, and then he also goes on to tell, like, tell a story about how Achilles was kind of depressed, um, at the time that they met, and, and I guess he, he says that he and Achilles were good for each other as friends. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but, yeah. Another point that I think is very interesting is that, you know, the fact that Patroclus is, and this also applies to Achilles, and I'll talk about it later, but Patroclus, we talk, we get so much from him, we get his personality, we, we get dialogue from him, um, there is this, there's this, like, battle within Briseis, um, and she, because she knows these men by now, she gets to know them, she, she, she sees them as people, um, you know, like, Patroclus, he, she's seeing, like, you know, he's being really honest, and he's opening up, but at the same time, he does not, I mean, I guess he kind of does, but, like, at the same time, he's still so much not a victim, He's still the villain in her story. He's still one of the villains. And he still did this terrible thing to her people at large. Um, it says, quote, His honesty winded me. But at the same time, I was thinking, How can you know? You, with all your power, how could you possibly know what it's like to be me? Um, and that's when Patroclus goes on to explain. But, like... I feel like that that sentence really, really well um, represents. I think the the bond between Patroclus and um, and Briseis in general really represents how we get to see villains as you know, like how much sympathy should we have for the people who torment us, who mistreat us, and. You know, I'm a teenager. Of course I'm going to relate this to parental relationships. Because these people are treating her so badly. But at the same time, she she feels like she needs to understand them. Because she's a good person. She's understanding them. She's having sympathy for them. She's she's seeing things from their perspective. But, she, but in the end, like, how can you draw that line between, you know, I realize that you have not really had a great life, I realize that you didn't choose this, but also, I have to think about myself, and I have to think about how you've harmed me, I have to think about how you are bad for me, and I need to put myself first, and you're not the victim, you're my, 
you are the person who hurt me, you hurt me, why would I, you're not the victim, you're the victim of your story, I'm the victim of mine, I, you're the villain of my story, someone else is the villain of yours, and it goes on and on and on, to, because, just because you have had a hard time, you didn't choose this, you, whatever, you're human, like, she begins to see that they're human, and I think that's, a part of her character development in a way, but at this, but then she comes around and it's like, they're human, but to me, they are villains. You know what I mean? I don't, like, because I think this is a good, good, good question about morality in general. Um, because I don't think that a lot of people, the, the wide majority of people are sympathetic people. They have, the wide majority of people who hurt other people are hurt people. What's that phrase? Hurt people, hurt people. If you're, if people hurt, if people are hurting other people, those people are probably, have probably been hurt by other people. Um, and in a way, from the person who's hurting the other person, you can see, you, you have sympathy for this person. You understand them. You, you see how, you see things from their perspective, um, but then when you switch over to the person that they're hurting, it's like, yes, you have your own difficulties, your own struggles, but you are still my, in a way, abuser. I mean, I don't think Patroclus necessarily abuses, per se, at all, really, um, Achilles definitely does, and that also applies to Achilles. I think Briseis, over the course of the book, begins to realize Achilles is human. He has his own struggles. He has his own weaknesses. He's not just this um, force of evil, but at the same time, and this happens a lot. Like I think this is one of the most interesting things about this book. At the same time, like. She's seeing his morale. He's not morality, but he. She is seeing his humanity, both Patroclus and Achilles. But she, and she's trying. Her heart is telling her to be sympathetic, you know, but at the same time, you have to put yourself first. You have to remind yourself that just because they are not bad, a bad person, does not mean that they're not a villain to you. Um. I was watching, I, I saw this TikTok the other day, <laughs> this is such a long tangent, but I saw this TikTok the other day, um, it was, if I can find it, I'll link it in the description, um, it was basically, so, it was basically this girl, and she said, as a human, as a woman, I can understand why my mother, you know, like, my, being a mom is really hard, and being a mom is it's, you can't always be perfect, and you make mistakes, and, you know, like, being a mom is so hard, and being a woman is so hard, and we're trained by our own parents how to act, and how to, how to, um, how to cope, and a lot of times those aren't good, good strategies, um, it's, you know, and we also, this also applies to Achilles, again, and Patroclus. Like, their society, they're a product of their society, but does that make them good? And if it makes them good, does that still mean that 
does that mean that they're worthy of forgiveness from the people they've hurt? And I think that those three those three things are very, very different. Are they good people? Do they deserve to be forgiven by the people they've hurt? And what? What has caused them to be this way? These these things are often conflated by people. And I think that we really need to separate them. Because just because you are not a bad person does not mean that you're, the person you've hurt needs to forgive you. Just because you have been uh, taught a specific way or you're a product of a society or system, that does not mean you're blameless. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to say, okay, wait. Let me find the TikTok. I I just I just need to. Um. So anyway, the TikTok. Um. Uh, basically, she's like, if as a woman and as a human, um, I understand how hard it is, and I understand, you know, the the struggle of being a mom. But at the same time, as 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 this person's daughter, I can't reconcile that with. The hurt that you've given me, the hurt that you've that you've transferred to me from your own from your own experience. Okay, wait, no, I found it. I'll link it in the description. Okay, so um, this is a post by three three two dot l a c i, um, and this I take I save this TikTok because I it's it's one that I it really hit me. In, in, where, right where it hurts, you know what I mean? So, okay, so, it says, uh, where did it go? I don't know how to use the internet. I know I'm, like, a, 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 an internet generation kid, but, like, I don't know how to use the internet sometimes. Okay, when your relationship with your mom is so rocky, because she wasn't always the best. And so as a woman, I understand, I sympathize, I respect. I understand how difficult being a woman, let alone a mother, is. And I love her for always still trying her best and never giving up. But as a daughter, I feel anger and I feel confusion because why would she do some of the things she did? That, I, that just, like, I've never related to a post that hard. And it's not only, it's not necessarily not necessarily that I have the same situation, I don't have the same experience, no one has the same experience as anyone else, but it really resonates with me, and I think that it's very, very connected with what, with one of the central themes of this book, which is like, yes, yes, are, okay, because these, okay, again, these are three different questions, are Achilles and Patroclus human? Yeah, they're human. They make mistakes. Can they be blamed for the mistakes? Probably not. Are they good people? That's debatable. Don't know. If, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put out a verdict yet. And do they deserve to be like? Are, okay, let me amend that. Are they products of their system? Definitely. Are they good people? Up for debate. Do they deserve forgiveness from Brisset's particular in particular? Absolutely not. Maybe not Patroclus because she he was definitely kind to her. But maybe the other person, the other people he's hurt. You know, the people who he's, the families of the people he's killed. You know, 
And I think, because I think that, like, to one person, I don't think that necessarily good or bad is a very good way to categorize people. Because every, almost everyone is a product of their, their upbringing and their situation and their backstory. But at the same time, like, someone, you can be good to someone and not be good to someone else. You can be good to someone and be bad for someone else. And that doesn't mean the people, the person who you're good to necessarily needs to hate you. But the bad person definitely has the right to. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm saying this in a very roundabout way. But again, it's so connected to generational trauma because it's like, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I understand you. I understand you're you're a product of your upbringing. But I, I have to put myself first. I am, I I'm hurting from this, and the the only way to break that cycle is to to resolve your own your own hurt. And maybe even to cut off the person who hurt you, you know? And if you're not careful, you're going to, because of the hurt someone else gave you, because of their hurt, you're going to hurt someone else. If you're not careful, you're going to continue that cycle. And I just think it's so symbolic. And it's so, like, deeply meaningful. Um... Yeah, that's kind of all I wanted to say about Patroclus. Not say, like I try, I'm making it sound making it sound like there's not a lot that I just said. I know I said a lot. Um, Achilles, I don't really have much to say on him. I feel like he's he's almost he basically everything I said about Patroclus applies to Achilles. Oh, there's another thing by the way. Um, another thing I found interesting about Patroclus. This is actually from the Iliad too. And when I reread the Iliad, I started realizing like how much of this book is actually so based in 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 canon in the Iliad because like I don't remember every detail that I read in the Iliad and sometimes I don't even understand it and I just skim past it but like I was reading this just now I was reading that quote from from Patroclus's thing and it says um so while while uh Briseis is mourning um uh, Patroclus, she says, it says, uh, where is it? Okay, yeah, it says, the women, so spake she, Briseis, wailing, and thereto the women added their laments. Patroclus, indeed, they mourned, but therewithal, each one of, each one her own sorrows. Another translation is, um... Hold on, where is it? Let me pull it up. Another translation. Which is from Pro- uh, Project Gutenberg. Another translation is... Uh, where is it? I swore I had it up here. Okay, so it says, the Gutenberg translation says, Her sisters, captives, 
Her sister captives echoed groan for groan, nor mourned Patroclus's fortunes but their own. Frankly, I do not understand English very well when it comes to this sort of thing. But I took this to mean that they aren't actually... The Gutenberg translation to mean that they're not actually mourning Patroclus's death. They're really only mourning... They're through... Through mourning Patroclus, they are really mourning their own losses as women who have suffered so terribly in the last 10 years. Uh, whereas um, in the Perseus translation, it's more like, um, it says Patroclus indeed they mourn, but also, also they mourn their own sorrows. And I think, I don't know, I would say that the Perseus one is kind of the one that like is in line with what Pat Barker, or, you know, The Signs of the Girls presents, where it's like, um, this, again, this is why other pro- other podcasters, like, write things down, and like, because I cannot find that quote. I'm just gonna pause the recording real quick while I find it. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> um, so, it took me so long to find this for no reason. Um, so, uh, Briseis has returned to, um, the camp, and, uh, Achilles' camp, and she says, the first thing I saw was Patroclus's body, he'd been a living man when I left, again, totally, like, very, 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 so on point to the Iliad, um, and she says, I think we were all, to some extent, the women and her. We're all, to some extent, using Patroclus's death as a cover to mourn our own losses. I thought about my brothers as I wept. I even thought about poor silly Mines. Dot, dot, dot. But, it, but I wouldn't like it to be thought our grief was for Patroclus was in any way staged or insincere. I held his cold feet in my hands and remembered how he'd told me once not to cry that he'd promised to make Achilles marry me. So, obviously, she doesn't say any of this out loud like she does in the Iliad. But also, we don't get her thoughts in the Iliad. So, I think it's it's so, like, accurate. But we think about it so much more deeply than when I, when I, when I read it. I think about it so much more deeply than when I read it in the Iliad. Um, it, I think this, that's, what, that's what this book does really well. I think it brings out details that um, that we really don't really think about. You know, like, they're not important details to us. But it brings out details from... Because Briseis isn't mentioned that many times in the Iliad. I think I control F'd it. And she was mentioned 17 times. Um, not a lot. And, yeah. But... It's so interesting how the, the author, Pat Barker, was able to draw out this entire relationship, this complex relationship between Briseis and Patroclus, just from that line in the Iliad about how she mourned her brothers, she also mourned, she mourned her brothers and her husband, she also mourned Patroclus. And again, this is just like so indicative of the duality. I, I know I know this like if you're a K-pop fan this this word is so overused but what I mean by that is like it's like very ambiguous but it's also not ambiguous because ambiguous is like 
you don't know which one, right? But it's, this is, like, you don't know which one, and also it's both at the same time. Like, all three at the same time. One, the other, and also in between, all at the same time. And it's really interesting, it's really good, and it's really poetic. And also, well, we'll talk about it later, but anyway. Patroclus is, that's all I had to say for, about Patroclus, really. I just think their relationship is so interesting and weird, but also canonical, and it's just like, it's just so interesting. Um, I'm saying that too many times. Another thing about Patroclus that I'll just briefly mention is his relationship with Achilles, because in in the in the song in the song of Achilles, obviously they're like literal, they're boyfriends, monogamous, etc., in love, etc. But in the Silence of the Girls, they actually aren't lovers, really at all. They they have a very ambiguous relationship. I know I'm, I said that once before too. Um, so at one point, uh, Briseis is watching them like together on the beach at night and. I'll just read this quote. I knew I'd stumbled on something too private to be witnessed. There were always those, then and later, who believed Achilles and Patroclus was, were lovers. Theirs was a relationship that invited speculation. Agamemnon, in particular, couldn't leave it alone, though Odysseus was nearly as bad. And perhaps they were lovers, or had been at some stage, but what I saw on that beach that night went beyond sex, and perhaps even beyond love. I didn't understand it then, and I'm not sure I do now, but I recognize its power. This is... Okay, I will point out my very first critique of this book. I think it's... I don't really understand that whole line about Agamemnon and Odysseus. Because I feel like... Like, I understand... Because I... I Okay, I don't actually know much about Greek history. Um... Uh, I tend to really focus on Greek mythology and Roman history. But, to my knowledge, the concept of pederasty did not arise until the 7th century BC. And the Iliad was written around this 8th century BC. And, therefore, we can safely assume that the concept of pederasty did not yet exist around Homer's time. So, and the concept of speculation, the word speculation doesn't imply that there's anything wrong with it, but to say that Agamemnon couldn't leave it alone and Odysseus was nearly as bad, it's like, it's giving homophobia, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not saying that the author is homophobic. I think that the author is making people homophobic when they don't need to be homophobic, because I feel like they're not, they're not actually... That's not, that, that, I, again, I I know little to nothing about Greek history and timelines and stuff, but this is another thing that I probably should have brought up in Song of Achilles, actually. Um, Odysseus is like, you can do this when you're boys, but everyone expects you to grow up one day. Well, I mean, everyone expects them to have wives, obviously, but I don't think, I mean, no one really cared about, like, I don't really care, right? Like, I, I'm not, again, someone enlighten me, please, email me. All my links are in the, in the, in the description. Um, 
so anyway, what I was gonna say, my main my main point about this uh, paragraph, I think, is interesting. How they we don't know. Like we, it's not clearly defined. Um, they're obviously really close. They're not necessarily lovers. They might be. Who knows? You know, I think it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Um, and another thing is that they're although they're like really close, Patroclus. We we see a lot of hints of Patroclus actually feeling a lot of resentment for Achilles, because um, obviously we I talked about earlier about how Patroclus felt like he was given to Achilles as a quote unquote toy. Um, Patroclus, uh, I think at one point, there's one chapter, maybe two chapters in his third person perspective, um, and he talks about like how they, although Achilles all, always addressed him respectfully, they all know that he's the second in command, he's Achilles, he's underneath, he's beneath Achilles when it comes to the hierarchy of things. Um, and I don't know, it's just like, I feel like there's this resentment between them and uh, also, Achilles is pretty rude to him, also. Um, and Patroclus, on occasion, is also rude to him. Um, and they seem kind of like... Uh, the relationship is kind of love-hate, in a way, because I they are very close. I think they begin to distance from each other a little bit at the near the end. Um, Patroclus... I don't know, it's just, we don't really understand their relationship. Which, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I think that the reason we don't really understand their relationship is because Briseis doesn't understand their relationship, which is totally understandable. But also, I wish I did, you know? Like, I feel like, sometimes, like, I just want to know, I just want to be able to see these things clearly. What do they feel about each other, etc. And then obviously Achilles is devastated after Patroclus's death um he also does some pretty suspicious things such as like not burying Patroclus and like curling up next to his dead body at night anyway but (laughs) um like he it's not explicit and it's also ambiguous it's up to interpretation I think um, because Briseis herself doesn't know, and she doesn't pretend to know, and she doesn't even really speculate about it. Um, I, as much as I am a firm Patroclus believer, I do not think that there's anything wrong with this interpretation, because I think that this book, Silence of the Girls, not Women of Troy, honestly, I don't think I'm really gonna get to Women of Troy much at all. I might cover it in a patreon episode or something in more detail um but anyway so um right as much as i believe that they they were lovers these are myths <laughs> we can't say whether they were or not because they're not real um i know that obviously we know that many of the greeks believe they were some of the greeks believe they weren't um and that's their religion so we can't really say that was their relate that was their religion and we can't really say that they're wrong or right because that's literally their beliefs um i think that this is actually an interesting point 
to talk about, I guess, because this is going to be really prevalent in in this podcast in general. Uh, not history so much, but mythology. It's just pointless to debate what was true and what was false, or because these people didn't really exist, um, and these people are all fabrications of the imaginations of the people who believed in them. I will say it is valuable to talk about how, like, Christianity and stuff has, like, in recenter times, like medieval times, erased those those um, records. But if we can't, I mean, we can't really. Obviously, there's a lot of, like, erasure around Achilles and Patroclus because of just, like, Mainly just Christianity, um, but whether we think that they were or were not, we know that the Greeks were not completely united on this because we definitely, we do have some, we have accounts of people occasionally saying that they are not. Most people did believe that they were. Homer did never, did not ever explicitly mention it, so yeah, and I think that, um, the, the the silence of the girls is not really a retelling of the Trojan War. It's primarily a telling of the Iliad. Um, that changes when it gets to the women of Troy because the women of Troy is majority not anywhere is not canonical in any way. Um, it's kind of just a bonus. Um, but the silence of the girl is the silence of the girls like. Most of it is very, 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 very solidly to the Iliad. Um, obviously, we see Achilles' death, but it's also not really that important. Like, everything after, like, Priam comes and Hector's body is returned, that doesn't really last that long. Everything before that is very, very rigidly with the Iliad. Um, yeah. So, anyway... Um, onto Achilles. Achilles, um, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie to you. His character did not interest me at all in this book. Um, I think that there was a lot of discussion about his relationship to his mother. Frankly, I did not care enough to actually think about that in any, any depth. So if you have thoughts on it, please email me or DM me or something. Um, I, again, I frankly did not care enough to really like examine it in my mind in any detail um but yeah feel free to talk to me about it because yeah um honestly i don't have that much to say about achilles i think that in the the, uh, the sounds of girls at least patroclus is like he's morally gray whereas achilles is really just a terrible person i think he does feel you see some humanity in him later in the book but i don't know if that's necessarily character development i think it's more just he was always slight he was always human you know he was always human he just chose to do bad things like he saw brisee's to a very small extent um, she didn't matter to him, but he realized she was there the entire time. He just didn't really care. Like, I, I can see how you could see him having character development. However, personally, I did not really get that from him. 
Um, I think that Achilles is frankly a pretty two-dimensional character in this book. Which is like, whatever, it's fine. Um, I honestly don't think that there's much other characterizations to talk about in this book. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about Women of Troy. Um... Well, I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. I feel like I had a lot more thoughts on Silence of the Girls than Women of Troy, but also I didn't have... For some reason, I feel like I've been talking for a lot longer than I did for Song of Achilles, but I just don't have... But it's not been as long, like, objectively. Um, I, I genuinely feel like I have nothing more to say about the characterizations. So why don't we just move on to the ratings? I think I'll talk a little bit more about the prose, so it's fine. Um, this will, these will just be, I'll still split it up into two parts, but they'll just be much shorter episodes than, than the other two-parters. Um, so again, if, just to remind you, if you are new here, or if you forgot, I guess, the three categories I'm ranking, I'm 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 examining these books this book through are untold told and retold so retold is well told first of all is this like basically just the writing like the talent in of the writing so that's prose that's um like character development in a way that's it's just, like, how good is your writing objectively? Like, how good is... Not, like, the plots. Not not the creative part, you know? Like, I don't know how to explain this. I mean just, like, the prose. Like, how good is the prose? How well are you com- able to communicate ideas, etc., you know? Like, it's just the writing. The word choice, mainly. And I will say that I loved this book for that. That was, this book has excellent, it's, the style, the tone, the humor, it's just, like, amazing. Okay, I will say, the one thing about this is actually, there's, there are criticisms out there about this book, about how it's anachronistic, and that means, like, not like it doesn't make sense because it's ancient Greece, so why would they say things like the F word, etc.? I and there are a lot of Britishisms too. Um, I frankly do not agree with this at all in any in any way. This might just be me being very non academic and very just like in it for the fun. Because I do not, I think it's really good when people make, when people detach these retellings from, like, the stiffness that the academia, that academia normally, like, pretends that there is in these stories. Because these tales are not academic, were never really academic, or at least mythology was never really an academic thing. It was literally religion. And these were tales meant to entertain. They were tales meant to um, tell a story. 
and to teach lessons, but not in the way that people think. Like, I, I, I do not understand people who want very stiff language, very, just like, because I think that, okay, I, I understand that, like, I just don't understand why everything, every retelling has to be so archaic all the time, you know, like, why does it have to sound so, like, old-timey? Like, I like it when people take things in a different direction. Like, add some modern flair to it. Because the Greeks had curse words. The Romans had curse words. Everyone has curse Curse words have existed since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of language, curse words have existed. Um, I don't know if that's actually true, but I know the ancient Greeks had curse words. Or at least, like, vulgarity, you know? Um, just because that they're not the same curse words as the British ones does not... Like, I don't understand what you want. Like, people spoke... Everyday people did not speak stiffly. I, I, like, they were... They spoke like normal people, like we do, just in their respective languages. And I don't really under... And... It's just another part of translation. Um, translating curse words is actually a very hard thing to do because there aren't always equivalents that mean the same thing and are used in the same context. Um, but anyway, like I just think, like I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I think it's actually like, again, this might just be because I have no interest in like being a historian and, like, thinking of this as, like, a historical commentary, I think of this as, or not, well, this isn't history at all. I don't think of this as, you know, an academic work because I think it's a, it's a, it's a novel. It's meant to entertain and it's primary, I, I, I think its audience is probably the general people. Um, and also I don't understand why people critique Britishisms. Um, I've heard people critique, like, uh, Troy Fall of a City because it's so British. Um, there's a lot of Britishisms in this book. Um, what is wrong with that? The author is British. Of course they're going to say things in British dialect. Like, I don't understand. Like, as an American... Sometimes Americans act just like British people say that they act. And it's like, well, now you've gone and ruined it, and now I have to side with the enemy. <laughs> All jokes aside, though, like, retelling, modern retellings are all about taking a myth or a, a, a historical story and making it your own making it consumable for a modern audience, making it entertaining for a modern audience. The point of modern retellings is the audience. If you're someone who is a historian, if you read ancient Greek, go ahead and read Homer. If you want if if you want accuracy to ancient Greeks, ancient Greece Read an English translation of the Iliad. If you want fun, if you want um, an adaptation, if you want a retelling that is 
um, more like understandable, more humorous, more entertaining for a modern audience. You don't want to write a book that has nothing that that doesn't have any flair to it because if you if you write everything in a modern style but never put any of the flair then what is what is up what about your book will be interesting to people you know what i mean another thing is like okay like if you've read um for example catullus the latin poet he used a lot of vulgarity in his poems he used a lot of like just like he wasn't like prim and proper in his poem in his latin poems and people translate that into english vulgarity um and i think that's really great because it really gives the same tone and it's what a translation is it's a true translation it because a word is not just the denonym or whatever it's called not the denonym that's not the right words isn't denonym like you know like the us the denonym of the us is american or whatever isn't that what denonym means what i mean what i meant is denotation it's not just denotation a word contains not only denotation it also contains uh it also contains connotation it also cont- it also contains you know sounds like that like there are sounds that can be put together to like be humorous like puns and i think that when or like rhymes like when people make in, when translator makes make translators make an effort to keep that spirit i i i appreciate that so much now i know the iliad is not that the iliad is not full of vulgarity the iliad is not full of you know inherently funny things but that doesn't mean Achilles didn't have funny things to say. That doesn't mean Odysseus didn't have funny things to say. That doesn't mean Odysseus didn't like cursing. That doesn't mean Agamemnon wouldn't like cursing. Just because the the Iliad is a piece that does not have vulgarity does not mean that... Does not mean that the people... That in a realistic setting, the people would not swear like it doesn't make sense to me and yeah 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 the greeks didn't have the blah 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 word they didn't have this word etc yeah but we also don't have the word the words that they have translations are translations for a reason you pick the word that best matches the other word and try to translate it as best as you can very few languages translate very easily between them unless they're very closely related and even then you know there's always slang there's always like etc there's always random there's always things that have developed over time that like didn't develop in the other language my point is no of course the greeks didn't have various swears that we have in english they didn't speak english why would they but they had similar words. They swore. They had they they had vulgarity in them. Maybe not the maybe not the princes or whatever. But at least mm, don't know about that. I feel like the prince. I feel like royalty. Do royalty are, are royalty trained not to curse? It's not a thing. I don't know. Anyway, my point is, I just don't understand why people think it matters that the greeks didn't have this word or this word or this word okay 
They also don't have the word man, and we still translate, I don't know what the ancient Greek word is for man, but we still translate that word into man, because that's the closest we have to their interpretation. Also, fun fact, the Greek, well, I actually don't know that much, again, I do not know anything about Greek history. Let's say Roman, then. So the Latin word for man is weir. But the concept that the Romans had about weary, which means men, is not the same as we have for men. But we still translate it because that's the closest thing we've got. Why would you... Like, we don't... There are different languages. Of course they don't translate perfectly across. Just because they didn't have this word doesn't mean that they wouldn't use something similar to that word that they it doesn't mean that they don't have slang it doesn't mean that they don't have figures of speech you know like i just don't understand it and again like even if they even if they didn't have slang or swears or figure of speech so it's a retelling you want if you wanted the retelling to be dry and and humorless like and just like boring like you could read the Iliad. <laughs> like, I don't... If Why are you here if you just want the story? Why are you here if you want everything to be accurate? And again, I understand that. There are some comfort characters that I have that I want them to be the same. But this is not that. People don't have comfort to languages, okay? That's not a thing. That's not relevant. <laughs> It just doesn't make sense to me, and I think people need to get off their high horse and realize that the ancient Greeks are people, and that the ancient Greeks had spirit to them, and they had personalities, and they had quirks of their culture and of their language, and that's okay. (laughs) And what's wrong? I, I, I just don't understand these people. If you genuinely have a good argument and good reasoning for why you think that anachronism is a thing that should exist. No, I I, I understand anachronism. What I don't understand is anachronism when it comes to language specifically. I just wanted to clarify that. But if you think that there's a genuine reason why anachronism when it comes to language is important when it comes to a a modern retelling, please let me know through my links because I genuinely do not know. Um, Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um... So, anyway, my point is, I love the prose. I love how funny it is. I love how, like, I also listen to the audiobook. The audiobook is amazing. The audiobook is stellar. It's the height of audio performance, honestly. I always say performance. I need to fix that. Performance. Isn't it performance? I've, I've, I feel like I don't even know what I say at this point. Anyway, it's the peak of audiobooking. There's no audio, there are very few audiobooks that are that good. The Silence of Girls might be my favorite audiobook. Up there with um, The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner, that is a brilliant audiobook. Um, that's a Twilight book, by the way, if you didn't know that. The, the, the narrator for that is just, like, wonderful. Um, another one is Like a Love Story. I love that book. And also the narration, my god. I, I love the narration. It's just so funny. Especially Judy. Like, Judy's POV. Her, her, whoever narrates Ju- Judy's POV. Gold. Um, yeah, I just love it. 
that got super off track. My point is, this audiobook is one of my favorite audiobooks because it's funny. It's really, 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 really emotional. Like, it gets you through the waves, you know? It gets, it has the ups and downs, and it doesn't sound like, sometimes, sometimes it kind of changes the tone because, like, you listen to the audiobook and you think you know what it mean, what it's saying, and then you look at the book and it, like, looks different. But who cares? I mean, it got the message across. And different people will interpret it in different ways. My point is, there's nothing I love more than this audiobook, and I also really like this book's storytelling. I think this, the, the author is an amazing storyteller, so, also she, she has, like, molds, like, dozens of books or something. It's crazy. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and give this book a risky 10 out of 10 for told. Honestly. Okay, and then retold. So retold, I will say that, like, retold is, like, finding little bits and interpreting, right? Interpreting. Interpreting! I can't speak today for some reason. Um. I don't think that there's necessarily that much retold in this book. Um, In The Song of Achilles, there was a lot of retold because there was a lot of things she added with... With knowledge from the Iliad. I feel like in this book, things are a lot more straightforward. Whatever they said in the Iliad, you kind of can assume. Whatever you can assume from the Iliad, she just puts in. Which I like. Um, I can't say it's bad. Um, I think that retold... Like, she doesn't really... She doesn't really, like, use that Madeline Miller-esque, like, signature style where, like, she draws bits and then like fills in the gaps um i think she again she goes for the most straightforward option every time which i don't think is bad necessarily okay the only exception is when agamemnon says that he hasn't like touched briseis at all like but also like i agree with that agamemnon's clearly a jerk so why would he hesitate to sexually assault Briseis. And actually, uh, Song of Achilles actually gave a brilliant explanation for that, which I probably should have talked about in that. But anyway, so, there was no explanation in, 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 um, Silence of the Girls. She, he was just lying. Which I love. I think that's, that's like, it's a very straightforward, um, again, it's a very straightforward interpretation of the Iliad, which is fine. I, and I like it. So because there's, like, very little retold. Um, I think I mentioned this in Song of Achilles 1. Uh, the, re- the, five, the, the rating scale is more like 5 out of 10 is kind of just, like, neutral. Or there's none at all. Whereas 0 out of 10 is it's actively bad. So this one I'm just going to go ahead and give it a 5 out of 10. Because I think that there's, actually, there's very minimal retelling. Like, in this retelling. Um... Untold, on the other hand, untold, the untelling is brilliant. Because I think that there is just so little we know about Briseis. Um, We know that she's the queen of Lernessus. We know that she has a bunch of brothers. We know that she's married to Mynes. We don't know what her relationship to Mynes is. We don't know... Um... We don't know anything about her relationship with any of the women, 
really. Um, we know that they're kind of like, you know, buddy-buddy, but like we don't know anything about it, um, which kind of is mentioned. Um, we just don't know a lot of things. We don't know how Briseis feels about Patroclus before he's really kind to her. We don't know Briseis' opinion of Agamemnon, I don't think. Um, and I think because we, we, again, she's barely mentioned. Um, but she's so, she's, she's present in so many of these situations, but she's not, we don't get her perspective. So I think that it's really good that we got so much. Also, like, I think, again, a lot of flavor is added. For example, this one guy, like, um, we always hear about, like, the plague that Apollo sent down. We never really talk about, like, how bad it actually was, but in this book, it's near, like, horror horror level um there's this one guy this was this haunted me because i read this when i was pretty young but this 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 um section haunted me um there's this one character who's i don't remember his name myron there's this one character named myron and he's really 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 wants to earn achilles's affection um he's and also he is the one, the first one affected by the plague he like slowly goes insane and his illness is disgusting and it's just so visceral so you know like we just we never really see we never really like touch on in the Iliad touch on how bad the plague actually was we just get Achilles like coming to Agamemnon and talking about it but we don't actually see the effects on the everyday men of the war and I just thought that was brilliant also another thing about the told thing which is another reason why I gave it a 10 out of 10 is it's so visceral the descriptions are so disgusting and so accurate and I think honestly that 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 goes hand hand in hand. The only way to get me emotionally going and for me to really really envision what the, the character is feeling right now is to just make it really disgusting and like really visceral. Um, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say. I think that's all I had to say. Oh. What was what was my rating for Untold? I'm gonna say nine out of ten. Um, one thing that I didn't necessarily like about Untold is that um, I feel like I feel like okay, I feel like Briseis just doesn't have much agency, which. Like I said in the beginning, like, I understand that, and I think it's probably the most accurate, but at the same time, I kind of wanted a little bit more personality from her, you know? So, you know what? Maybe I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I've just wanted, all I want from this book, all, the only place where it missed the mark a little bit was, I just wanted more personality from Briseis. That's pretty much it. I also really wanted to see more about her relationships with other women, but that really shows up in Women of Troy, which is the sequel, which I also really recommend, but I didn't really have time. I didn't really have the motivation to talk about it much. 
on the that in the episode, so that's why. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had to say for today. Um, if you want to support the podcast, please share and leave a review, rate, review the podcast with your friends. And wait, I can't speak. Share the podcast with your friends. Spread the word. Also, rate and review the podcast. Please give me a five-star review on whatever platform you go to. Um, whatever platform you listen on. And lastly, if you want, if you have you have the, the funds, you're in the position, please, please consider supporting me on Patreon. It's only $2 a month for tons of benefits. I will say, in like I haven't really been doing anything on there for the last month because I'm really busy and I wanted to prioritize the regular feed because I don't actually have any patrons yet. But if anyone actually subscribes, I'm going to get on that immediately, okay? So don't worry about how I haven't really been uploading there because if you subscribe, we will be best friends. I will be putting out content like clockwork, okay? So if you want to hear more from me, Please subscribe. It's, again, only $2 a month. That's 50 cents a week. Okay? That's two quarters per week. Um, that's one vending machine snack per month. Depending on how, how expensive your vending machine is. Well, I guess... Okay, my vending... The vending machines around my area are normally, like, they're one seventy five for snacks. And then they're $2 for, like, drinks. So, one drink from the vending machine... Per month. You could instead get tons of bonus content. You can find that at patreon.com. Slash. Um, RetoldPod. Uh, you can also follow me. To get updates. And also contact me here. Uh, you can contact me at. In many different ways. I have a curious cat. RetoldPod. I have a story graph. There's less contact. And more you know. Just seeing stuff like. You'll be able to see trigger warnings if you're into that. Like, I know some people who do have triggers don't actually read trigger warnings because it doesn't actually work for some people. So I, 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 I prefer to leave it up to the person to decide. Um, if I discuss something that is like triggering, I will put it in the description. Um, of my podcast, but if I'm just reading a, tr- a book with triggers, I'll link. I'll put it in my story graph, and if you want to see those, I'll be able. You can. You'll be able to see them at Retold Pod, which is also linked in the description. Oh, by the way, you can find all these links and more on my website, which I spend a lot of time and effort on. Retoldpod.card.com.co, which you can also find in the description. My email is retoldthepodcast.gmail.com. I have an Instagram, retoldpod. So far, pretty much all of these things are inactive because I just, I've been really busy and with all my free time I do have, I want to prioritize for the regular feed, just like putting out the the episodes on time. But if you contact me, rest assured, I will be in touch. And in fact, I'll be super excited to get my first contact with the listener. So thank you to everyone who's been listening so far. Um, I've had, honestly, an unexpectedly okay rate rates of listening. Like, 
I think that, you know, like, it's, it's, it's cool. I feel like, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> um, so yeah. Feels redundant to say, say this again, but I feel like I should. Thank you for, thank you so much for listening. This has been Retold, and I will see you in the next one.